Hi, and welcome to Mind That Podcast. My name is Caitlin, and this is our very first episode, which is all about introductions. So don't think that it's going to be a boring episode. It's not only about me introducing myself, but about how we also individually navigate introductions as a whole. And within that, we're also going to discuss negative biases. So firstly, who am I and what on earth is mind that? Well, I'm going to introduce myself as Caitlin. I'm from Melbourne. I live with my boyfriend, who's very loving and supportive. I am a very creative individual, currently studying psychology. I'm very passionate about health, mental health, your physical health. I love moving my body. It's so essential to ensuring that my mental health is doing well. So what is Mind That? I wanted to create Mind That as a platform where we could have honest and genuine discussions and discussions about the things that we don't usually talk about. Usually when there is a podcast, there's some sort of influencer or someone that you know of that is in the public eye. And I wanted to create a platform where most of the people you're going to hear about and have discussions with, you probably know nothing about. And I thought that would be a really great way to create something from a really authentic place. This is also a great opportunity for me to share my passion of psychology. I am not a psychologist. I would love to make that really, really clear. All the things I'm going to be sharing with you are my own personal experiences, tools and tricks I have learned personally and also through the help of my own psychologist. So before we begin, I wanted to make it quite clear that when doing this podcast, I want to look at situations from a biopsychosocial perspective. So looking at a wide variety of contributing factors that may affect an individual. So introductions. Introductions are something that on surface level are so simple, yet they can be a reflection of how we feel about ourselves and the perspectives we have on our lives. Let's say you are interviewing a new housemate. You're pretty much just going to show the best parts of your life. You're not going to display any of the negative parts. The same could be said if you were going for a job interview. You're not going to talk about your financial struggles and how much you need the job to support your family. You're probably just going to talk about how much you're excited about the job, how enthusiastic you are about the company, and how it can help you further your career. Or let's say you were going on a date. You probably won't tell your deepest, darkest secrets. You might, but more often than not, we don't really do that. We try to put our best shirt on, our best dress on, and try and put best foot forward. But over the past number of years for me personally, introductions haven't been that easy. So if I go back 10 years, 10 years ago, introductions were really great and awesome and simple. I did a job that a lot of people didn't really know or understand. So it would always be a really great center point for conversation because the conversation would go in a multitude of ways. It might go to music, it might go to art, it might go to lack of interest in art and music. And yet when I returned to Melbourne, I dreaded introductions. And I dreaded introductions because I felt crap. I didn't know where I was going in my life. I was no longer doing that job and had no interest in doing that job I once did. And therefore, I didn't really think there was anything exciting about me or anything worth to share. 
So I would go in and out of confidence with how do I introduce myself and the things that are going on for me when I feel like shit. Well, when we feel crap, it is easy to continue to feel crap because we have a biological state known as the negative bias. So you have an amygdala within the brain, which is used to sound off whether there is an alarm. When we feel something negative, it stores the alarming effect and experience into our memory. So two-thirds of our neurons within the amygdala are looking out for negative threats and those things within our life. However, positive experiences need much more time to hold awareness and sensations for longer in order to generate into our memory storage. That sucks, doesn't it? So if you are already in a negative state, you're probably going to find more negative things to focus on as opposed to looking forward to that date or looking forward to the brand new things happening in your life. So why this is important is because when introducing oneself, it is easy to navigate towards the hardships and the challenges as opposed to thinking about the good stuff. So I can put up my hand and say, yes, I've done that before and may continue to do that again, most likely. And that's okay, but I have learned something. And in other words, we are more likely to dwell or reminisce over a negative experience because biologically, we're wired to do so and we're wired to be on guard. Our body has that effect and has the amygdala to look out for us and to ensure that we are staying safe. Let's say that you've just gone on a date and there was one thing that that person said on the date that did not sit with you at all. So you've started to focus on it, you've reminisced on it and you've reported it to your friend. And all you can keep talking about is this one thing that this person said. Now, if you don't have a very aware friend, your friend will probably be in agreement with you and say, no, don't give him another shot. And so the negative bias then wins because you've focused purely on the negative thing that happened. You didn't think about or even report all the amazing things that that person had to offer. Interesting, right? So now that we understand negative bias, we're able to put into context a little bit more about how when we feel like crap, introductions and being in new situations are quite challenging. The reason why it is so important to look at these areas and to look at how we can overcome some of these aspects when connecting with people is because it can link to a deteriorated mental health. So in one study looking at close friendship strength and broader peer group desirability and predictors of adult mental health, it discovered that depending on one's friendships within adolescence, that could be the predictor of mental health at the age of 25. And it focused on roughly three areas. So looking at self-worth, the strength of the relationship and levels of social acceptance. And what it discovered was that those who had closer relationships at the age of 15, such as a best friend, had lower levels of depression and symptoms of loneliness when they reached the age of 25. So understanding that this is the case gives us the basis to understand the predictability, but also the importance of how we can establish good connections through introductions, which can then lead to friendships and other relationships within our life. An area to connect this to is dependent upon which stage of life you are in. And I'm currently studying developmental psychology while I'm at the end of that unit. And this was something that really made, put things into a bit more perspective for me. 
So first of all, we're going to talk about emerging adulthood, which is the age between 18 to 29. And known as the emerging adulthood by Jeffrey Arnett, it is known to be a time of individual exploration and personal freedom, so to speak. So within this, an individual is trying to create a sense of who they are within their jobs, job relationship, and you know, living arrangement and a lot of different aspects of their lives are changing. So for instance, support is changing. We're no longer relying on our parents to give us all the love and support that we need. We're starting to move away from that and look to our friendships to give us some of that love. We're then also looking at, you know, the instability within jobs. Now within Australia, there is an average of eight job changes within that age group which is really interesting and sort of makes a lot more sense within my own world of the different things that I've done. But then there's also us having multiple partners. And to me, that's a really big representation of the inner changes that we have within ourselves and the growth that we have. And maybe each partner also can symbolize some of those changes depending on where we're at. There's a much more narrow focus on self we don't have as many commitments as, as opposed to those who are in the next stage of life. There's also a big feeling at the moment of in between. You're not at that stage yet where you have a lot of commitments and you have a family, but you're also making still some really important decisions within your life. Now, if we go back 30 years, I know within my culture and my family, they were getting married at the age of you know early 20s. And the role of a woman was really different. Well, nowadays it's changed and women and men are having this opportunity to explore who they are, look at careers and growth within those areas. And then there's also this idea of alternating between resilience and low mood and depression and how it's really easy within this time frame to flip between the two. And those can be almost interchangeable. So this stuff, knowing all of this, it's actually quite normal to feel and experience, but it also relates to how we might feel within ourselves, within introductions, and when making new connections to friends. Another area to look at is adults or mid-adulthood, so to speak. Now, within this area, there's more commitments being made. So usually this can be defined as marriage, maybe having children, or if you're not having children, you're going on to maybe do some more study or you've got a promotion. And then within the next phase, old adulthood, there's this based on finding more meaningful exchanges and goals. And there's a tendency to leave more surface friendships and to keep connected to those who are more closer. So understanding all of this, it's really interesting and important to be aware that depending on your age and which stage of life you are in, and it doesn't mean that age is usually the qualifying detail, but it does give us a little bit of ind indication of what's going on. It can give us a bit more insight into what we're experiencing and how some of that might actually be normal and we're not going crazy. Let's look at what's important to establishing a connection or friendship. So friendships are reciprocal and therefore, according to research, in order for a relationship to occur, there needs to be an element of give and take. In a study by Tainu, it looked at whether being reciprocal was beneficial within two different theories. So the first theory was the social exchange theory. This looks at friendships or connections, relationships from a cost benefit. 
a cost is looking at it from a negative. Or a loss. It costs money, it costs time, it costs energy. Benefit can be determined as the more positives. It's a friendship. It's a companionship. You might feel a bit more supported. You would prefer within a social exchange theory to maximize from your benefit and not give so much. So not allow it to cost you much. The second theory was the equity theory based on fairness and an even exchange. So you want to ensure that there's a balance, so to speak. You're getting some, they're getting some you're also taking some, you're taking and you're giving. However, if you are receiving too much, you might feel some guilt. And if you're not receiving enough, you might feel inadequate and lonely. This study looked at these two theories within the age group of adolescents and noted that those who were part of reciprocal exchange between friendships had less loneliness compared to those who had over-benefited or under-benefited relationship. It also noted that when looking at different age groups, young adults had more over-benefited relationships than adults. Yes, let's say adults. Whilst adults had more reciprocal relationships. Now, for me personally, I can certainly relate with that. I feel at the moment that in a lot of my friendships, I give and I give and I give and I give. And I don't usually get people checking up on me. I don't usually get messages or that interest, only a fair few. But I also understand that we're all going through changes. And within my age group, I can understand and see why. Well, it is super normal that when we feel crap about ourselves, that we don't want to talk about ourselves. However, what do we do when we need to show up? And maybe we've been in a little bit of a slump for a few weeks and we want to push ourselves, we want to get out of our comfort zone. Let's go through a few tips and tricks that have helped me. So the first one is ask questions. And I'm not saying that deflection is key, but let's say that you are having a really hard time at home and there's a lot of things that just aren't really working and that's okay because life happens and it's not always peachy. I'm going to use peachy. And I'm not saying that deflection is key, but it is a really great way to create boundaries and support yourself. We'll do another episode on boundaries. But that is one way to go. So instead, when you are having a conversation with someone and someone asks a bit about yourself, you can always just say, yeah, I've just got a, a lot going on at the moment. I don't really feel like talking about it. Now, that's a pretty direct way to go about it, and I know it doesn't work for everyone, but it's one way. Another way could be having just one line of response and saying something along the lines of, yeah, work's going well, um, it's pretty hectic, but I'd really love to hear about your life. I don't have much to report right now. That's another way of making it quite smooth and simple. So most recently, I was in a, I guess, sort of like a state of being where I was feeling extremely vulnerable, highly emotional, very anxious. And the last thing I wanted to do was surround myself with other people. I already do it for a job and that was already like the most I could give. So I sometimes use the free counselling services when I can't get in contact with my psych immediately and when I'm in a really big state of anxiousness or anxiety. So I called up this hotline and I just sort of explained that I was having to go out but I don't want to share much about where I'm at. 
And I was not in a place to really think rationally or to think straightforward or to even use some of the tools that I have in my toolkit. I just needed some help. And I sort of took away that I get to decide what I say and I don't have to share anything really. So we went to see some friends of ours and they asked how I was. And my response was extremely deflective, but almost like defensive. I responded with like, yeah, I'm good. Not much to report here. How are you guys going? And it made, for me personally, like in this very vulnerable, anxious state that I was in, I then was like, oh shit, I've completely fucked this up. I've, I've gone too far, but I didn't know how to really go back. And very thankfully, you know, we ended up getting on a very different conversation and topic and that sort of subsided. But then throughout the rest of my interaction with them and that evening, I just kept saying things and like putting my foot in it, like just being too far of one end of this spectrum of deflection. And I was at the end of like borderline rude, really embarrassed, extremely direct. I just didn't I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to change it. As soon as we got in the car, I was like bursting in tears. And I just said to my boyfriend, I was like, I, I feel horrible. I'm so sorry. I feel like I've really ruined things and I don't know what to do. And he just looked at me and he's like, Caitlin, like, it's okay. You're learning and it's not that big of a deal. And so I sort of took a few days to process how I felt after using deflection, essentially. And I sort of have come to the conclusion of deflection is fine. And if we do those things that I've mentioned just a little bit earlier, that is a really great way of going about it. But if you're also in this space where you feel like you are a very delicate glass house and anything that really comes your way is going to fragment or, you know, uh, jolt or break then maybe you need to like rethink about whether you need to be in that situation in the first place. So my little takeaway from that little mini digression of a story is deflection can totally work, but it can work if you're going from like a middle point of the spectrum. If you do too much, you can maybe sometimes feel a little bit worse. And if you find a nice little midpoint, it can be really great and healthy. For me personally, from this particular experience that I had, I decided to, instead of going into people-pleasing mode and trying to, I guess, overtly apologize, I decided to like sit in the uncomfortability of it all and to allow myself to reprogram the neural frequencies within my brain. So I can get comfortable with some of that uncomfortability. Because I think sometimes as well, when we are learning, you have to go from one extreme to the next. And it can be really uncomfortable and you might sound like a broken record to your family and your friends. Um, but that is what I believe is growth and one way to also go about a situation. But if you're in a state where you don't feel good at all, and you just prefer to have like some support of some really close people that you trust, maybe reconsider if you need to put yourself in that particular situation. Another thing to do is go into an event with three things you can talk about. 
And these three things can be as simple as three things you did during the week. So let's say if you didn't want to focus purely on your work, you could always start off with, oh, I listened to a really great band. You could say that you went for a really long walk. And that could be a really great way to start talking about health and how that means a lot to you. Or another idea could be, yeah, I'm really focusing on this particular thing at work. There's really no right or wrong with any of this stuff and it's completely non-judgmental. Just take what you want from this podcast. Something I also used to do is keep it simple. And a mentor of mine used to always say the KISS analogy, which is keep it simple, stupid. More often than not, we are more concerned about the inner workings of ourselves as opposed to the external. So you might go into a situation, you might feel really anxious, you might feel not so great, but to be honest, the person in front of you isn't focusing on that. They're focusing on themselves more often than not. I can't talk for everyone, but more often than not. So now I'm going to share with you a short story that I was in and quite different to the deflection story where I was in a much better place and how I, I guess, managed the situation. Everything is going to be told in nice, broad brushstrokes. I was in a situation where I was feeling quite uncomfortable about meeting someone. And in my head, I built up what this introduction would be like. It I didn't really think it would be super scary or anxiety-driven, but I didn't feel super comfortable. So the first thing this person said was they just kept talking about how everything was really hard. And I heard that, clocked it. Now, in my life, in that particular moment in time, I didn't have the peachy life. I, I wasn't living in this, you know, fantasy world where everything was amazing and great. My life was pretty good, but I wouldn't say it was like extremely high or extremely low. So they asked what I was doing and I said, oh, I'm currently studying psychology. Their response was, isn't that hard? I knew that that was just a reflection and they were purely just projecting what they were experiencing. Now, the subject I was doing was really fucking hard. I am not lying at all. But I decided to respond in a really selective way. And I was really, really intentional with my words. So I said, yeah, it's challenging, but I'm getting through it. That person went on to ask whether I wanted to be a clinical psych. And for me, that question is usually quite triggering because at the time I wasn't very sure and I had a lot of limiting beliefs, which I was working through. However, I simply responded with, I don't know. I might go one direction or I might go that another direction. And I felt really confident in myself. And I felt confident because I was being authentic and really genuine. And I wasn't fluffing over things. I wasn't putting on a big facade. I actually just sat there and, well, I was standing, but I felt really, really secure in myself and in what I was doing in that moment. And that gave me confidence. It made me feel like I've got this and I don't need to live a certain way. I don't need to live to how someone else expects of me. But if I stay true and honest to myself, that is where your power comes from and that is where your confidence comes from. So I walked away from that introduction feeling really good. 
I did not fluff at all. I was just true and confident in who I am. Anyway, so let's recap for today. We have a biological state which can be known as a negative bias. This is where we, in nature, try to look for the negative things that are happening. This is our body's way of keeping us safe from danger. We have a amygdala within the brain, which is used to sound off if there is an alarm or if there is something that we should go into fight or flight mode for. Having an understanding of the relationship between the negative bias and the amygdala means that in order to create a more positive awareness and mind frame, we need to hold on to our positive experiences for a longer amount of time to create some sort of change. If you are going into a situation and you don't feel great, ask questions. People enjoy talking about themselves. And I'm not saying that deflection is essential, but deflection is a really great way to create a boundary and support yourself. However, if you're not feeling super great and you currently feel like you are living in this beautiful but very fragile glass house, it might be worth considering whether you do need to go to this particular outing and whether it might be more beneficial for you to stay home or do something that actually will fill your cup up. The next idea and suggestion I have is think about three things you are willing to talk about. And that can be anything at all. It can be really, really simple. And I gave really simple examples a little bit earlier, like going for a walk. I like moving my body or I really enjoyed listening to this particular band or I've read a book. It's a really great way just to start a conversation. Now, depending on the people that you're around, if they show interest, that's great. And if they don't, that's okay too. And if you're feeling good, maybe you can talk about your hobbies first and then you can talk about your family and your career. Maybe change it up a bit. Focus on how you can be really true and authentic in the way that you respond, not fluffing over things and being really present. One way for me that has helped me quite dramatically is ensuring that my voice is really grounded. So if I'm feeling a little bit nervous for an introduction, I'm going to try and make sure that I don't really speak up here and I'm not really, really, really high. But I want to make sure that I'm really, really secure in my voice. So that is today's episode. I hope you enjoyed our very first episode of the Mind That podcast. This podcast acknowledges the traditional owners of the Wurundjeri people and their elders past and present who are the traditional owners of this land in which this podcast was recorded here today. If you have any questions or feedback, please send me a message. Otherwise, have a great day. Thank mm-hmm. you.